Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, we have on the show a writer and producer from Rexville, Ohio, who has written and produced for such shows as Chicago Fire, The Rookie, and Hawaii Five-O. Previously, she worked as an assistant at CIA and assisted showrunners such as Joe Carnahan and Peter Lankoff. She's a graduate of Miami University of Ohio uh, and enjoys throwing axes. Welcome to the show, Allie Siebert. Welcome, Allie. Thank you. Hi, it's nice to be here. So do you really enjoy throwing axes? I do. You know, I've only done it once. Um, I did it with an editor who I met on The Rookie uh, in up in North Hollywood, and it's a lot of fun. Also, feels a little dangerous because they just opened up a bar at the same place, <laughs> so I haven't been back since. <laughs> That's genius. Let's open up yeah, an axe-throwing place back. next to a bar, right? The, the bar is literally part of the establishment. Um, they were getting their license when I went there, so it was not up and running. But apparently now you can drink and throw axes at the same time. <laughs> I want to begin with how you got your... Well, first off, you're you're from Ohio. So how did you decide you wanted to work in the industry? And uh, how did that... What inspired you to want to work in the industry? And then how did you sort of make that push? Like, what did you study in school and those sorts of things? Sure. I feel like I do have a little bit of an unusual path. Um, I didn't know right away. So going into school, um, I was kind of undecided for a second. I wanted to do, you know, a field in science, which was a horrible idea. Uh, (laughs) And then I eventually ended up in journalism, um, which I was actively pursuing. And so I thought for a while that I actually wanted to be in news, specifically in political, on the political side, mm-hmm. um, possibly on the production side of things. Uh, so for a semester in college, I ended up going to Washington, D.C. and interning on Meet the Press, uh, which was a great experience, but also made me realize that, you know, if you're going to put in <laughs> 60 to 80 hours a week, even as an intern, uh, you better love what you're doing, right? Right. It's a Sunday news show, so you're giving up. Friday, you're giving up Saturday, and you're waking up at 4 a.m. on Sunday, if not earlier, uh, to go in and help prep everything. Um, So even though I really enjoyed it, what I realized is I didn't necessarily want to do uh, the reality of news all the time, um, but I did like the production side. So it was actually in D.C. when I realized I kind of either need to move to New York or L.A., which is obviously a huge jump. Um, I decided on L.A. just because it was kind of like the obvious hub of television and film. Um, people definitely thought I was crazy, uh, (laughs) just because Hollywood, you know, especially in the area I'm from is just kind of like a crazy far off place that people go who want to become actors. Um, so everyone thought I'd be back in a year. Clearly I did not come back, but, uh, I actually went out here with the intention of writing or directing for film. Um, but once I got out here, you know, I quickly saw like films taking a long time and it still is. Uh, I think around the time Dallas Buyers Club, you know, was about to come out and taken 10 years. Uh, I'm a pretty impatient person. So <laughs> I quickly realized film was not for me. Uh, did not ever want to wait 10 years, you know, to have something get made. Um, and so I started doing a lot more in television, even just, a, you know, an unpaid internship. Um, I ended up moving to CAA and working in the scripted TV department. Um, and at the time, you know, it was really almost at the peak, kind of at the rise of television. Um, it was kind of having a new golden age again. So it was very exciting. Uh, and I saw a lot of opportunities and I was able to make a lot of contacts. Um, so it was kind of like a long winded route to get there, but ultimately I'm, I'm glad to have the other experience, um, because I think it helps me write about more. And I think, you know, obviously I had to learn, you know, the formatting and the process of script writing and, um, you know, work on things like dialogue, but ultimately like journalism taught me to write clear, concise stories uh, that people are interested in. So in a weird way, it was a super translatable skill. Right, right. Now, working at CAA, I've always been of the mindset that it's important to build connections, build build your network, especially when you're starting out, because uh, a lot of those people that you start out with will be in a position, you know, you'll be in a position to help each other, so to speak. What was your experience at CAA like? Exactly that. Um, Because I had come from a school in Ohio, um, they actually started, after I left, uh, inside Hollywood program to help the students kind of come out here and meet people. Um, But that was before me. So I only 
came out here knowing like two people, one who was in reality, uh, which wasn't really applicable to anything I wanted to do. Um, so for me, CA was crucial because one, it allowed me to meet people my own age and actually kind of like make friends. Is that sad of it? sounds uh it's kind of like you know you're graduating college class right because you're all thrown into this you know crazy pit of madness like the center of the industry uh and you have to either sink or swim so for me it was really nice to get out and meet a bunch of people who had different experiences who wanted to do different things uh and, and what they say is true not only is it forming friendships but the people who stick it out like you all rise up together because you all started at the same point um so a lot of my friends now are either agents or managers or uh, CEs at different companies. Uh, and, and it's awesome because you get together with them and, you know, it's to discuss a project, but it's also just to catch up with your friend. Um, and it's really neat to see where everybody's gone. Now, did you end up signing with CIA? I did. I did. I was really fortunate. Um, I was able to make quite a few friends there. Uh, so two of my good friends who uh, I ended up still keeping in touch with when I left I ended up becoming agents. Uh, so it was kind of nice because I had one and in, right? I could easily reach out to people and it wasn't a cold call. But also, uh, I already knew them on a different level. We were assistants. So uh, once they got promoted, um, they were able to sign me and we kind of helped each other. Uh, they helped me find my first job. And then in turn, one of them was still a training after uh, we got a job, he got promoted. So it worked out well for all of us. No, that's great. Um, now, working for working in television, uh, a lot of managers we speak to say that it's harder to actually break a television writer, but at least the work, once you're established, can be more consistent. Um, but it's also a different animal. There's a lot of, of like when you're a screenwriter writing features, it tends to be a little bit more isolated, like you get notes and you write on your own and then come back, whereas television tends to be more collaborative, as well as the job being more than just writing. Uh, in other words, you're contributing to other people's scripts. You're sitting in sometimes on the editing in the edit process. You're often on set. Um, but learning these skills can take time. But I know again, having worked in television as an assistant, you know, again, for showrunners like Joe Carnahan and Peter Lenkoff, uh, what is it that you learned? What is the most valuable thing you learned working in television before becoming a writer? Sure. Um, honestly, I would say to respect everybody's position, which sounds like such a simple thing, but one of the most interesting things I ever experienced was being an assistant uh, on one of the shows and talking to upper level writers who had never done any part of production. Um, I worked on with three different people uh, as a showrunner's assistant. I was very fortunate. Uh, they took me everywhere. So I was sitting, you know, in pre-production meetings, I was going to set and then, you know, I was also going with them to edit and then watch like a final mix before it airs on TV. So I actually knew a lot about the process and in turn I had met a lot of different people that most writers don't ever come in contact with. Um, so it was really the experience and the exposure of knowing how all parts of the machine work, right? Um, you can write an incredible scene, but if you can't shoot it, uh, then what's the point, right? Cause it all has to change anyway. And if you're unable to change it yourself, then somebody is going to have to do it for you. Um, and so kind of thinking ahead and, thinking about what everyone else has to do, right? If you say that one person catches on fire and then 10 bombs explode, you just probably spent all of your budget. In <laughs> right. You know, five seconds. Um, so getting to know people early, getting to understand how it worked, um, what those people needed to do their jobs, right? Like even uh, people in the, the costumes department, they have to have everything approved every, all the time. Uh, so it's timely, right? Because not only do they have to get the actor in for fittings and find the clothing and go out and shop for it, uh, once an, an outfit is approved, often it has to be tailored to that person. You know, multiple sometimes have to be made. It has to get to set. Uh, so everything's so complex that kind of not writing to that, but considering it uh, as you go forward in your own writing process um, has been really helpful. And I also just think that it's oftentimes appreciated. Mm -hmm. Now, in your duties as a showrunner's assistant, I'm assuming you also read a lot of the incoming submissions. Um, what are some of the things that made a script, after having read 
I don't know how many you would read in an average, uh, you know, staffing season, but what would, well, maybe my question could be twofold. One, how many would you say you read on average during a staffing season? Um, and then two, what made a particular script stand out? Sure. Um, to be honest, I actually wasn't hugely involved in that process. Um, for all the shows, I generally came on after most of the writers had been hired. Mm. Um, so I don't really have like a number that I can throw out. Right. Uh, just because I was usually reading people after the fact. Um, I was heavily involved, though, in reading their scripts as they were coming in, um, which is always an interesting process, right? Because obviously they're doing what you want to do, but you're still on some level having an opinion and input. Um, at least not with the people I work with. Um, so the biggest thing, cause I did go back and read some of the scripts, uh, from the writers who ended up getting the job, right. Cause I wanted to know what they, they were contributing, uh, and how they got the job or what made them stand out. And I think it's honestly, a lot of it, you know, is, is proving that you have an interesting concept that you can, uh, but the main thing is that you can make it interesting within the first 10 to 20 pages. Um, I think a huge misconception, unfortunately, is that uh, all of us have time to read scripts in full, right? Uh, and the assistants often do, but in terms of the showrunners, um, a lot of them read the first 10 to 15 pages. And if, within that time, if you can't establish what story you're telling, uh, who you're telling the story about and, you know, have some semblance of, of structure and, you know, know how about script writing, um, they're going to move on. So it was really interesting to see who was able to do that um, and how quickly a story is able to get off the ground and on its feet and running uh, that I think was key. And I think honestly was key for us in getting our first staffing job as well. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking about your first staffing job, uh, oftentimes I've found that there are, showrunners or, or even in the uh, agenting world and production wherever there are those who look to help and promote from within and then at other times there are those who just don't seem to acknowledge or care it's like you know it's a secondary thought if you happen to be brilliant maybe then they'll stumble upon your work and maybe they'll help if they can but it's not a big deal um Definitely. how what things did you do or how did you present yourself to the showrunners that you worked for um, either to try to get, obviously your primary goal is to get on staff on that particular show, either in the current season as a freelance or in a future season as a staff or getting them to try to help you get onto a different show. Um, what, what are the, some of the things that you did to help, move that process along because I know a lot of assistants get stuck in that rut for a long period of time and aren't able to get out and maybe some of it is is, is writing and you know skill level obviously you're a talented writer but some of it can be political some of it can be strategic as well as in terms of your planning definitely um ultimately our first job didn't come from a situation like that um but like you said I was obviously trying for it the entire time mm -hmm. um and as simple as it sounds like you know it was just constantly being on top of my A game. Uh, I think the most interesting thing that would probably stand out for this scenario is reading other works uh, that these showrunners were working on on the side. Um, so obviously most of their energy is going into the show that they're focusing on at the moment, right? Uh, but they all have projects. I mean, we all do. They all have projects that they have wanted to work on, have written in the past, that they want to adapt and maybe try and sell now. Um, so I was doing a lot of extra side work that wasn't necessarily for the show I was on, but it was going back, reading through some of their things, and then therefore giving them notes. Um, and I think that was really important because obviously it's a fine balance. You don't want to insult your boss, um, <laughs> but they're also looking for for your level of, of um what you're able to contribute, right? If you just sure. tell them, oh yeah, the script was great from 10 years ago, they're probably going to look at you a little funny and think that you're not being fully honest. Um, and so it was kind of being able to prove that I can contribute in a wholly different manner than just, you know, scheduling meetings and, you know, making sure he gets to the right place at the right time. Uh, because a lot of those people ended up actually taking the notes I was given. Um, and even though you're just an assistant, like your opinion still obviously matters. If you say that, you know, this one scene was confusing and, you know, this character generally feels, you know, a little straight, then they're going to change it. Um, they're still looking for honest input, no matter who you are. 
so I would say it was more uh, things like that that really helped kind of like make me stand out and shine in their eyes. Uh, and therefore, then they would start coming to me with more opinions on the actual show that they were working on. Um, so once you could kind of prove yourself in that light, uh, then I was working towards uh, becoming more involved with the show itself, becoming more involved with the scripts, um, throwing out ideas to them, you know, in private, uh, which hopefully would have eventually led to a job. Uh, like I have, like I've seen it, you know, work for other people. Right. Um, now, you were previously uh, writing part of a partnership. You had a writing partner. Um, and now yeah. you're, you're solo. Can you talk about the sort of logistics and how they differ in terms of like writing on staff as a partner versus, you know, working as a solo writer in terms of, you know, writing on staff, developing pilots and that sort of thing and how, uh, you know, that whole process changes? Definitely. Um, so obviously you're, you're two parts of a whole. Uh, as a partnership, um, you are generally treated that way with writing, uh, but not so much in the room, which is an interesting thing, because ultimately what people are trying to do uh, with partnerships from both the writer side and from uh, the hiring side is you get two for one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, even though, according to the rules, we're only allowed to write one script as a team. You can't separate us. Um, we are two different people throwing out ideas. Um, so it was always nice having uh, somebody else to bounce ideas off of. And the biggest switch is obviously you only have yourself. Um, but the, the nice part is that in a weird way is the same thing is that you don't have to bounce your ideas off of someone. Um, if there's something that you feel really passionately about, uh, you can go forward and do it yourself. Um, so the biggest switch for me is trying to obviously find something that I'm passionate about uh, and have confidence in that uh, going forward. Um, but in terms of writing, obviously, the biggest thing is taking on way more work. Um, in theory, you're always splitting it in half. Uh, the way it would work for us is we would divide up the script either by acts or by scenes uh, and kind of, you know, write our own parts and then put it all together uh, and do multiple passes um, to make it sound like one voice. But going forward, you know, it's a lot more time. It's a lot more um thinking to make sure things work from your own perspective and kind of then also reaching out to other writers uh, you might not, not normally reach out to, uh, to get their opinion, to make sure you're, you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. Now, um, what is your own individual writing process like? Um, both, I guess, in the room and, and sort of outside of the room, like where do you frequently prefer to work like in the office or out uh, what do you listen to music? What kind of music do you listen to? So what is your writing process like in terms of, of like, even with the pre-writing process, although it's still, I guess, the writing process of, you know, breaking down a script and, and you know, the development of an idea, fostering it all the way through when you have, I don't want to say final draft, but when you have a solid draft. Sure. I'm a very visual person. So I've actually kind of taken on what, uh, how, most writers rooms function uh, i bought myself a whiteboard mm -hmm. uh and generally have to like kind of map out my idea um i definitely work better in an office setting away from things that could distract me um i'm a huge procrastinator so <laughs> if i'm forced into a working scenario even if it's just for myself i'm far more likely to concentrate um, but I spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about the concept. Um, I often like ideas that involve a little bit of world building. Um, so it's really making sure that all the details line up, um, and that you thought a lot of the parts through, even if you're not addressing it in your pilot or whatever you're writing. Um, so I spent a lot of early time in the kind of conceptualization stage. Uh, on the last thing I wrote, I didn't ever do a full outline, but because I had spent so much time, you know, boarding it and figuring out the beats within uh, different scenes, I felt like after I had written a beat sheet um, that I could go off and write the script. Because um, obviously whatever you create in the early process is never going to stay in the final process. Things you think are working, um, the, the structure that you think is working um, oftentimes needs some sort of like restructuring or changing down the line. Um, so for me, once I get into writing mode, um, I can actually go pretty quickly, but it's a matter of getting focused. Uh, like I said, I generally tend to go to places where I'm not around uh, anything too familiar. So whether it's an office that doesn't have as much distractions, a coffee shop, um, 
anywhere out of kind of like where I live is easier for me to work in. But I found that I generally can't listen to any music with words. Um, if I'm trying to think of the words that characters are saying, if I'm listening to a song, um, it's going to get stuck in my head. So I've kind of created a whole writing playlist that usually involves my favorite uh, soundtrack music. And that's been super helpful kind of help, to help me concentrate and just kind of, you know, lose focus of where I am than ever, you know, every three and a half minutes of song changing with new words uh, coming into my ear. So mm-hmm. that's been a huge help for me. Now, you had mentioned procrastination. Other than sort of working in an office space, uh, what other tricks do you have for fending off procrastination? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, quite a few tricks. They don't always work. Um, for me, I, I kind of like to think ahead for my day day by day, I guess. Um, I'm not a huge planner, um, but, you know, if I were to go into tomorrow thinking, all right, well, I'd like to accomplish writing this act or, you know, working on the story for two hours, um, that really helps me if I've already set that goal going into a work session. Um, if I kind of go in with like no idea, I'll work for 15 minutes and then get distracted. Um, I've also really found that kind of just even texting friends and like talking through an idea that you're stuck on, that's really helped me. Um, I've relied on a lot of people's inputs um, to make sure that things make sense. Um, because when you're in it for so long, you, you can't really see whether things are actually coming out the way you want them to, especially if it's a complex idea. Um, it makes sense in your head, but you know, you've spent the last multiple days, whatever, uh, working on it. So kind of getting that validation um, and making sure that the direction I want to go in is the direction I'm actually going in uh, also really helps me kind of like sit down and focus and, and get ahead. But if I, if I feel like I can hit certain goals that I've set for myself, even if they're, you know, writing for an hour, um, I'm much more likely to stay on track than if, you know, it's like 15 minutes here, two hours here, uh, a day not doing any work. Um, I need to kind of stay in my headspace. Uh, and once I get out, it's kind of hard to get back in. Right. Now, when you were writing, when you were in a partnership, was it more difficult to stay focused or was because of, you know, when you have two people, friends who were, you know, uh, can get both sidetracked and then lose focus, or was it more, uh, helpful to fight off procrastination because you, if you lost track, they could focus you and vice versa. I think it's dependent on the day. Um, <laughs> to be honest, like we were, we were both a bit of procrastinators. Um, there were definitely days when we'd kind of refocus each other, especially if there was a deadline due. Um, but there were also definitely days where, you know, we'd be trying to work on our own thing and, you know, we kind of get stuck on a point and then we'd just be like, ah, you want to go get lunch? Ah, you want to go see a movie? <laughs> <laughs> quickly 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 spin out of control um but it was definitely nice to have the other person um uh when we when we had a deadline we were working towards um because obviously you can't miss the deadline uh and so if you got stuck in a place or if you needed you know an encouraging word uh they were that you know she was always there to give that as any partnership works um but i would i would say that that kind of goes for anyone i don't think i know any partnership that's 100 percent foolproof procrastination <laughs> free uh but you know that's the point on some level you have to be friends otherwise you're essentially a paper team right um now you had talked about like developing uh, a, a project and writing a beat sheet but not you know, going any further than that, because you had already been in that, you know, developing that world space for a, a substantial amount of time. Can you describe maybe for some of uh, the newer writers out there, um, the different steps uh, uh, to developing, you know, before you write your your pilot, or f- I guess feature even, um, what the different, you know, whether it's a beat sheet or a synopsis or, you know, those types of things, uh, and obviously nobody is tied down to any specific path or any specific number of steps. You can obviously do it at your own leisure, but maybe could you describe some of the different uh, uh, early stages of, of breaking down uh, a, a script before you actually start physically writing it? Sure. For me, um, I definitely start with a very broad overhead view. Um, 
most of my ideas kind of start in like a very basic, like one to two sentence idea that I think would be interesting. Um, and so I'll kind of go in with that idea, even just into a word doc and start writing down different parts of it. Um, it definitely doesn't form a story right away, but I look at, you know, who am I telling the story about? Uh, what characters are surrounding that, that lead? Uh, and what's the jumping off point? Um, so for me, I spend a lot of time kind of thinking how different characters are going to play on each other um, and how many I want to have. I think an in, in easy uh, trap to fall into that I certainly used to fall into, and I think a lot of young writers also fall into, um, is, is having too many characters. Uh, obviously, it's really appealing and you know, to throw in different personalities, but ultimately you have to be able to track the main and the supporting characters through the entire pilot process. Um, so I spend a lot of time thinking about what their personalities are going to be, what they're going to bring uh, to that, to that, you know, those first 60 pages, and then um, kind of start breaking the story around that. Once I know who they are, uh, I'll write out a very, very sketchy kind of sometimes like one sentence idea uh, per scene of what I'd like to see in an act. Oftentimes once I get to a board though, that doesn't translate, right? Like what looks like a full act on in a word doc doesn't look anything like an act uh, when you're actually looking at it, you know, in full on a, on a board uh, for structure. Um, so once I get to that level, I spend a lot of time making sure um, that, everything's balanced, uh, that you're seeing the lead enough that each scene is saying something uh, and not just, you know, serving one purpose of like having a funny line you want in there. Um, to me, everything has to be moving the story forward. Otherwise, you know, in theory, if you were to shoot it, you're spending a ton of money on something that isn't really saying anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously I used to be more focused in the network side of things. So I'd have to make sure that all of my outs, you know, were big and interesting and, you know, kind of would grab the audience, uh, which which changes um, as I kind of try and start to work more into cable space. But uh, once I get a really good overview of um, the board, I'll go in and, you know, put in fine details. Um, I always make notes to myself throughout the entire process of ideas I have, uh, even if it's just like, oh, I'd love this character to say this, I'll write it down. Um, and then once it actually comes to writing, it's a matter of, you know, whether you've done an outline or a beat sheet, taking that uh, and then putting in all the details that you've thought of um, and kind of like finding out how each scene flows into the next. Um, sometimes it seems a lot easier than it is, but like I said, I often move things around even just as I'm going. Um, and then once I, you know, finish a pass, I, I go back and move things again. Um, so it's a very, uh, obviously it's, it's, a, it's always changing. It's always flowing. Um, but I do tend to spend a lot of time in kind of like the overview stage and make sure that once I start to really get into the details, I have everything figured out on a bigger level. Right. Um, writer's block. Uh, I, I, is this something that uh, you get? Because some writers I've spoken to says writer's block doesn't really exist and other writers firmly believe it does. Uh, is writer's block something that you face? And if so, how do you deal with it? Um, for me, not so much if I'm on a show. Um, I think maybe a little bit of my journalism background says, you know, if there's a deadline, you meet the deadline. Um, and I will find a way around it. Uh, if anything, it's more of like an idea block for me. Um, I'll constantly have a ton of ideas, but until I find something that I'm really passionate or really, really excited about, uh, I just kind of like tend to meander from idea to idea. Uh, so for me, it's not necessarily in the writer's process. Um, it's in the early stages. So I generally tend to, if I get that way, just start trying to read as much as I can. Um, a lot of ideas are, you know, sparked off some sort of article or, uh, you know, story that you read somewhere. Um, so for me, it's kind of in the early stages, but I would say that I'm not as much somebody who, who experiences writing block during the actual writing process. Once I'm there, uh, I'm committed and I'll just get through it. But I need to really care about what I'm doing. Um, and therefore, I think that's why I've kind of been able to avoid it, luckily. Right. Um, have you ever had a mentor? Um, like someone you consider a mentor? Not obviously, everyone has uh, in order sure. to, to become 
to to sort of make it in the industry. Every, you need help. Everyone needs help. But somebody who you feel has sort of mentored you through the process over, you know, a prolonged period of time. Because some people obviously have. They've been fortunate. And some people haven't. They just, uh, you know, sure. don't. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would say... Never like an official mentor, right? Um, somebody who would outright call, this is the person they go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a uh, more experienced upper level uh, female writing team who I met uh, when I was working on State Affairs with Joe Carnahan uh, that I that I give a lot of credit to. Um, we spent a lot of time together and because they essentially were the older working version of us, uh, you know, they'd been through all the processes. Um, they had been through everything that we kind of wanted to achieve. Um, And so even though it was never an official mentorship, I would often go to them with, you know, how they thought I should approach things, how it worked from a partner perspective. um, And then, you know, later down the line, how they got through certain things. Um, And they're still a team today, uh, but they were definitely helpful, not only in the beginning when I was trying to make that jump, but after the fact, right? Uh, Because if you're writing as a partnership and your friend's, but you haven't actually gotten that first writing credit yet. That's very different from when, you know, it's your actual job and you're getting paid to do it um, and things are a lot tighter. So working through, you know, kind of like that first crucial year as a staff writer, uh, they were definitely somebody I could turn to and it was extremely helpful to have their guidance um, because they were in the same boat as us at one point. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, since you haven't had a mentor, if you could have any mentor um, alive or dead, I suppose, uh, who would you have chosen? Like, who would be your dream mentor? Out of anybody? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a tough question. Um, you know who I think it'd be really cool to learn from and work with? And this is a huge, I mean, obviously, it'll probably never happen, but um, uh, Christopher Nolan. Oh. I love his ability to manipulate time um which obviously (laughs) involves a lot of planning uh and and different things thought through um so i think it'd be really cool to learn from him because that's something that i think he's been able to do very well that a lot of people have uh tried to do but not always succeeded on the same level um i remember when the movie inception came out uh it was before it was out here in LA and I just thought it was one of the greatest things ever. I watched that thing countless times. Um, and always, always discovered something new. So not only, um, was he good at, you know, the general overview process, um, the, the detail work he was able to do within his, his film was incredible to me. Um, so kind of talking to somebody who's that involved and who's <laughs> has done the deep dive into their own project, uh, I think would be really fascinating. What's the best script you've ever read? Oh, man. Hmm. Or even just a really good one you've read that that made an impact on you as a writer, like something that you that stood out to you as, wow, this is special. Sure. Uh, you know, there was actually an episode. I kind of did it backwards. Um, but there was an episode of Better Call Saul in the first season. Um, it was kind of the episode focused on Mike Ehrmantraut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I watched it first and was so in love with it that I went back and read it. Um, and to me, the character work uh, that they were able to do in that script was incredible. Um, and the way that everything played out over that hour uh, was so well thought through and, you know, so well written and then, produced uh that that's something i really respected um that obviously was a little bit later but i definitely have to think about it in terms of like early on what kind of what script that changed it for me it's a tough question (laughs) well here's (laughs) here's an easier one then Uh, (laughs) what show of any show in history would you like to have worked on and why Ooh. Also a tough one. I would say, you know, it's funny. I used to probably say Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now maybe even more so. Um, but I really loved what they were able to do with generally something that was fantasy. Um, it was grounded, uh, a grounded way into a fantasy story involving dragons and some level of magic. 
um, which I thought was awesome. But I also really respected the show, um, especially early on Walking Dead. Um, I thought it was really cool that it had, like, the action and the zombie element. Um, but ultimately, it came down to the characters, and that's what people cared about. Um, so I would say one of those two would have been really cool to work on. Mm-hmm. I would have enjoyed both aspects because um, ultimately I still am an action person. I just love writing, you know, exciting scenes. So those two shows are able to provide both um, while still, you know, doing a great service to everyone you were watching. Right. Well, I mean, and the interesting thing is you pick two series that are that have uh, sequels slash prequels. They're still ongoing, even if the series, like, obviously... Um, right, right. You know, it ended uh, Game of Thrones, but uh, yeah, I mean, so it should be interesting. Um, they, well, yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do. I, I do think that even though in theory I would like to work on it, part of me like doesn't want to know. You know how the sausage is made. Uh, <laughs> I can just sit back and enjoy it as opposed to getting too deep into it. Right. Um, so in theory, I'd like to work on it. Uh, the reality of actually wanting to work on it, I mean, I guess obviously if they came and randomly reached out, I'd obviously say yes. But on some <laughs> level, I still like being being able to enjoy it, you know, because I think once once you're there, um, everything changes. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, the WGA ATA has sort of a conflict of interest standoff. Um, if if uh, listeners don't know too much about it, we've touched base on it a little bit throughout the past few episodes. Um, you can always go to Deadline, or actually, I probably wouldn't recommend Deadline. Go to Variety um, <laughs> and, and read about it. Um, but for you, as uh, you know, uh, a writer on the front lines, um, what has the WGA ATA standoff sort of meant for you, and how has it affected? Um, not obviously the writing process, but, you know, the business side of, of writing for you as, as a, as a working writer. Obviously I support the WGA and everything that they're doing. Um, you know, I voted yes on the vote. Uh, I think there's a lot of important aspects that need to change, um, before we come back together. But for me, it was definitely a new process. I only recently signed with, uh, my manager back in the fall. So until then I generally been working, with my agents who were originally my friends. Um, for me, CAA was a crucial part. You know, they got me my first job at Chicago Fire. Um, they were hugely important in getting my job as the rookie. Um, so when it came time to say goodbye to them, uh, it was a bit of a new ground for me. Um, and, you know, working with a different rep who, who I didn't know as well, um, as opposed to the ones who I had known for, you know, almost seven years. Uh, and so kind of like having the transition and still having a rep was super nice. Um, obviously, I've become a lot closer with my manager in that time. Uh, but it's definitely hard because I know a lot of younger writers um, who only got had just, you know, signed with an agency uh, or, or who only had agents um, are kind of in a weird position now. Um, I was really fortunate. I think I'd probably in, be in a totally different mindset if I hadn't met a manager right before. Uh, but I've been really fortunate in, in that sense um, to have somebody who kind of keeps me on track is getting me out there uh, and getting me to meet with people um, as opposed to some of my friends who, you know, at this point don't have any representation. Um and I think on some level, you know, they've all tried to use like social media and the submission system, um, but it, it ultimately comes down to contacts and knowing somebody still. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens when the WGA and the ATA actually do come to a negotiation, because um, I think from both sides, there's going to be fallout that, you know, no one expected. Um it's weird because the agents don't have to take us back. Uh, I'm clearly obviously hoping mine will, um, but I think it'll be interesting going forward um, because everyone's going to be a little bit hesitant on both ends after, after this, you know, it's gone on for a while. So who even knows when it's going to resolve. Um, but I hope that it works out the best for everybody. Um, and until then I feel really fortunate. Not that anyone can predict, but where do you see it going? Where, where do you, think if you had to place a bet uh where do you think it'll end up or how long do you think it'll take to resolve um you know i'm not sure i think on the hopeful part of me thought it might be resolved by now 
Um, but I think the realistic side, uh, it's still going to be a little bit of time. Uh, I did see an article that was talking about potentially meeting with individual agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest issues are not only packaging, but um, the production companies, uh, which a lot of them certainly aren't willing to part with. Um, so timeline wise, I have no idea. Um, but I think that, you know, if they start talking to individual companies, um, that might be able to move things forward for some people, uh, which ultimately could speed up the whole process. Because if you have a couple agencies that suddenly say, yes, we agree to these terms, uh, you know, writers are suddenly going to start flocking there. Um, it kind of happened with Verve, uh, you know, once they agree to the code of contact conduct i know quite a few writers who had signed elsewhere before uh and were kind of trying to jump over to verve so i think once the ball gets rolling things will happen a lot faster uh it just depends on you know which company is going to uh come to an agreement first um and how quickly that happens Mm -hmm. um what resources did you use or what resources do you recommend that uh emerging writers uh use? I mean, are there specific screenplays that you think have sort of, obviously you write in the drama space, um, that uh, are a great example of, you know, for newer writers to look at to say, okay, this is where my writing needs to be, that quality level and that, you know, the, the with great structure, or whatever happens to be great characters, development, um, or other things that you may have used yourself uh when you were sort of getting your start, what other sort of resources did you read or look at or listen or watch? Yeah. You know, I think it's not necessarily one script because it depends on what you want to write. For me, what I did is I kind of found the, the genre and the category and the type of shows that I really liked and what I was interested in uh, and and tried to read as many of those shows uh, in that, that, area, I guess you could say. Um, One that was really crucial for me was House of Cards, uh, especially at the beginning. Um, I would go through those scripts just because I thought the story was intriguing. Um, I thought the character work was great. Uh, It was, you know, a new take on a political story that I hadn't seen in a while. uh, And I just thought a lot of the writing was really smart. Um, But for me, obviously, you know, (laughs) House of Cards is going to be very different from Game of Thrones, which is going to be very different from, you know, a network drama. Um, So it was kind of finding everything that I wanted to do and then reading as many versions of that as possible. Um, Everybody has a different style. And so it's really about finding what works for you. But, you know, the more you know and the more you see what's working or not working and what might work for you or not work for you kind of gave me a direction with my own writing of what I wanted to accomplish and how I wanted to come off on the page. Uh, Obviously, some people, you know, have really snappy, really funny action lines uh, to kind of draw their readers through where I generally tend to kind of have shorter action lines uh, and leave it more more to the dialogue. Uh, but that's also, you know, something I've developed over time working with different showrunners. Um, but I think if you can find a style that you like um, in a genre that you like, then that is really going to be helpful in determining how you want to present yourself as a writer. Um, because like I said before, you know, a lot of people are going to make their their – uh, decision about you as a writer within the first 10 to 20 pages, even if they read the whole thing. Um, and that's going to be crucial. So however you want to come across uh, in finding that voice is really important in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, now, have you ever been asked uh, what your superpower is in uh, an interview with a showrunner uh, or some variation thereof? Obviously the question can come out myri- a myriad of ways. Uh, and if so, what is your superpower? Yeah, I feel like some version of that question is always asked, right? Uh, if not superpower, then, you know, what what is the main thing that you provide or are going to provide in the room? Um, and for me, uh, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I, I love action. Um, I came up under a lot of action people, obviously Joe Carnahan being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say action, but also structure. I love structure. I love kind of the puzzle that it provides in terms of finding the right place for every right scene. Um, and 
kind of the intricate ways to like rearrange things. Um, and I think that that is usually a skill most people are looking for. Obviously, most people have it, uh, but it, it's something that I've definitely been able to develop over the years working on shows. Um, so I'd say that would be mine. Uh, but it's kind of, you know, action structure. Mm-hmm. A little bit different, but nice, nice parts of the puzzle for sure. And in a partnership, do you think it's better to have two, both partners have different superpowers or a similar superpowers? Um, Skills. I think it depends. I, I honestly, for me at least, uh, I would say we had different things that we like to focus on, uh, which really helped us. Um, like I said, I was definitely the person who loved writing action. Um, obviously, we could write both. Um, but before, she also really loved uh, kind of writing more of like the the character scenes, right, and the, the details within the character work. Um, and so it was, it, if anything, it made it more enjoyable, right, because we could kind of focus on the areas we wanted to, uh, which is great. But I think it depends on the partnership. But I would say, you know, generally speaking from the other partnerships I know, um, every person brings a different thing to the table, whether it's in writing or even just in personality. Um, you know, some people love going on meetings and kind of, you know, leading those where the other person likes to, to sit back. Uh, I would say if you kind of balance each other out, that's surely going to go a little bit smoother. Mm-hmm. And where do you, where would you like to see yourself in five years and further out in 10 years? Sure. Uh, I mean, obviously an ambitious goal to be, you know, to have sold something and, you know, possibly have a show on the air uh, within five years. But I think in 10 years, I definitely like to, you know, be at that level. Um, I think ultimately a, a goal of mine would to be to have my own company um, and doing a lot of development work as well. Um, I, I do like overseeing a lot of the process. And um, obviously, as much as I love writing and doing the detail work and the scenes and on shows um i think it would be great to be working on a lot of projects and kind of getting a bunch of different material out there so i don't know if that's possible within 10 years but um, definitely something to work towards Mm -hmm. um and lastly do you have any advice for those emerging screenwriters out there or uh there's anything else you'd like to share with them bestow your wisdom upon them (laughs) (laughs) uh honestly i would just say i kind of few things that everyone says, but are very true, you know, always keep writing, um, because nothing's ever finished and network, network, network. Um, I think both were as crucial to me, um, as anything else. Uh, obviously our writing is what got us in the door, but in terms of our first job, um, our future boss, we didn't know at the time, but ended up talking to someone else who knew us from a different show. Um, And to always be aware of your reputation because people do talk in this town, obviously. Um, And so even though our writing got us in the door, you know, he wanted to know how do they work with others? Um, Do you think they'd be a good addition to the the team at the table? Uh, And luckily, you know, those people were able to say yes. Um, So between those two things, um, and we didn't even know that those other people were going to be on the show that we were eventually going to, you know, get our first job on. Um, so having that connection and having people being able to vouch for you on that level uh, is really crucial. Mm-hmm. And just, you had mentioned always keep writing, which obviously is incredibly important. Um, but just to throw that out there, how much writing would you say you get done on an average day? Like when you're well, actually writing, day. yeah, when you're actually writing something. Oh, when I'm actually writing something. Uh, if I'm sit, sitting down and focused, uh, honestly, I can get through about like even like 20 pages a day if I'm really focused. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, if I, if I, uh, I mean, obviously I have to go back and, you know, edit and work on it some more. Um, I tend to do like kind of, you know, what we call vomit draft first. But uh, if I'm in the zone and if I know what I'm working towards, I can generally do, you know, like at least 10 to 15 pages. Um but I often also, if I'm struggling with the scene, I'll skip it and go back. Um, for me, it's definitely about more about forward momentum than, uh, uh, you know, kind of stalling uh, and trying to figure out something that, that I'm stuck on. Whereas other people prefer to do that um, instead of continuing on. But uh, if I'm having a good day, I think the max I've gotten out is like 18 or 20 pages. <laughs> wow. 
that's impressive. Um, and for those listeners out there who don't know what a vomit draft is, it's just literally writing as fast as you can, not worrying, not going back and re-editing yourself or, you know, uh, just getting it out there so that, again, like you had mentioned, get keeping that forward momentum going so you can get it out there and then going back later and, you know, cleaning it up, polishing it up. Um, yes. And coming from Ohio, how important is it for television writers to be in Los Angeles? Or New York, I guess, to some degree oh. as well. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I guess both places. Um, I would definitely still say L.A. more so than New York, um, depending on what you want to do. Unless it's like sketch comedy, then New York might be a little better. Uh, but I, hugely important. Um, the thing that I had heard as I was coming out here is even if you don't have an L.A. address yet, find someone so you can put down uh, if you want to start submitting yourself. Um, it's true. People will look, you know, obviously your name, but then they want to see your address on there. If you're not here, uh, they're probably not going to hire you or they're probably not even going to give you a call. Um, things move so fast in this industry that, you know, if you have an interview, you could be starting the next day. You could be starting the same day. Uh, when I met Joe, I had a phone interview with him at like 10 in the morning, came in for an in-person interview that afternoon. And then immediately after that interview, stayed to talk to his current assistant that was leaving to try and learn some of the, um, you know, workings of his calendar and whatnot. So in a weird way, I had an interview, got hired and started working the same day. Obviously it wasn't <laughs> official, um, but, but it's definitely important. I know people who, you know, get hired at the last minute on shows and literally need to start tomorrow. Um, so having that address and being in the city and just being around it and meeting people, is, it's crucial for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and, uh, Allie and, uh, uh, allowing us to help you procrastinate a little bit today, I suppose. <laughs> thank you. I mean, yeah, now I'm providing the procrastination. Now, right. Exactly. <laughs> I think ultimately, yeah. <laughs> I think ultimately it helps you get there though. You know, no, no absolutely. you gotta give your mind a break. So absolutely. And I, I think this is going to, you know, be procrastination, but hopefully helpful procrastination for all those listeners out there. Um, but thank you again for coming on course thank you for having me um and for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing be sure to check out our companion website scriptsandscribes.com and send us a tweet to at scriptscribes there's no and in the middle there just at scriptscribes or email us to ask at scriptsandscribes.com thank you all for listening